Trojan fans, it's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast Special Edition. This is the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast we do with myself, Brian Abraham, and Gerard Martinez. Does a great job covering the USC football recruiting beats. Been uh, doing it on uscfootball.com. The Man, it's going to be close to 20 years at some point, but over 15, so we've been together doing this quite a while, and this is a really exciting time for USC football, so we wanted to bring you another recruiting podcast uh, to talk about all the news and notes that's going on. There's been a lot, and we'll get to uh, all of that. If you have any questions or comments for us, please make sure you label them as recruiting so we know they're a recruiting question, and send them to podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the email address, or if you'd rather call or text us, a recruiting question. You can do that too. 424-254-9141. Let us know. That's for Gerard. And we will make sure during the next recruiting podcast, we will play it uh, on the air. Let's welcome in Gerard Martinez. You can follow him on Twitter at Gmart Live. What's up, Gmart? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you doing? You know, we're uh, surviving the, uh, the apocalypse here. The, uh, you know, Hope everyone's staying safe uh, during this uh, pandemic, the the coronavirus, COVID, 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 COVID-19 pandemic. I'm going a little stir crazy, just going from my house to the office. And to be full disclosure, this is a second podcast, just kind of rolled from the uh, first one with Dan and Keeley right into this one. So I apologize if my voice starts to go at some point, but I'm hanging in there, Gerard. We're doing what we can. We're lucky that we can still work. So I very, feel very fortunate for that. And we're trying to work for the people. So we give them a little uh, entertainment and let them talk about stuff that's been going on in the sports world where obviously a lot of the information and the actual sports have been lacking. Yes, and it's been great that USC has uh, built some recruiting momentum here. They've sort of turned the corner and done a bit of a 180 from where we left off in the 2020 class and the feelings about recruiting come away from that class. And so... You know, we've talked about it before, but they've re-energized themselves with uh, interjecting some new coaches and I think uh, reinvesting in the support staff. And it just seems like everybody's on the same page and the energy sort of feeds it into itself. And we've seen the fruits of those labor, you know, in the last week with, uh, with four commitments here in the month of April and three just last week. And so, you know, it's one of those things that you talk about and, and yeah, it understandably, Trojan fans are a little gun shy and they hear us getting positive and saying positive things in the war room. And I think we uscfootball.com as a staff can say proudly and accurately that we don't really try to sell recruiting and try to hype it up and build it up. If it's not really going well, I think we've done a good job over the decades now of being pretty even keel about things and not necessarily trying to push uh, prospects that might have interest in USC but are not necessarily really seriously interested in USC. And so, you know, we were feeling like, hey, this is going to be a pretty good month. 
I think USC's got some things lined up here in recruiting, uh, but it's nice when it actually happens, you know, and it's actually guys have actually verbally committed and they've come out publicly and you can say, see, you know, the predictions about Dante Williams being a huge asset in recruiting. I think my first post, my sort of ambiguous wink and a nod on the message board, uh, which was way before anybody knew what was going on with Dayton, with Dante Williams and coming to USC um, was that this is going to be huge for recruiting down the line. It's not just really for the 2020 class. And it, I think I said something to the fact that I don't think it will have much of an impact on the 2020 class. It's really about 2021, 2022 and further beyond. And that's what we're beginning to see. And we're honestly, we're just as tip of the iceberg really now we still have to play season, and there's a whole lot of stuff that still has to go on with USC, the football team, and how the football team itself recruits USC and how they play. But in terms of their approach to the recruiting trail, uh, this is just sort of the tip of the iceberg because, you know, I think if the coaches were able to get out on the road and they were able to be active in recruiting, uh, you would see that much more of an impact uh, with uh, the defensive staff specifically. Officer staff's got to sort of catch up now. You know, they're being pushed a lot, and it's not like the SC of last year or the year before. You're seeing much more aggression, and the defensive staff is sort of setting the pace. So we're going to see here if the offensive staff is able to sort of pick it up. And we're going to see, you know, now that the secondary looks sort of, we're kind of starting to see how those are going to play out in terms of who USC is looking at pecking order-wise and who likes USC the most. Then other positions sort of like linebacker and defensive line are going to start to shake out now as well. So I'm not going to get into specifics. I know we got questions that are specific. Yes. But we'll get after those and hopefully we'll address specific questions that people have. And I want to know a question first and foremost, is this going to be a premium yeah. recruiting blast or is this going to be for the filthy casuals on Twitter who asked you about Joey Foreman <laughs> and if he decommitted from Clemson? This is a, we're going to do a free one again. Um, so we, a lot of times we do the, the recruiting podcast as premium and they're behind the paywall. So if you're a member at a VIP member at uscfootball.com, I think we're going to do this one as a free podcast. Again, there's been a lot of news out there. I thought it'd be good to talk about it, but if you, if you aren't a member, you should definitely go over to uscfootball.com and check it out. Gerard mentioned the war room insider information every week that we put up there. We've been doing that for probably close to 20 years now putting up the war rooms together. So make sure you go check it out. The fans love it. They get on there every Friday morning to, to read what we got there, all the nuggets of uh, recruiting and, and team information. And there've been some really positive ones like Gerard has said, but tons of analysis, tons of insight. Uh, you would have seen Gerard's post a couple of days ago about this Corey Foreman kind of news. And I think that's probably where, we're, where we'll start Gerard. You did that. that just it was a real simple post in the peristyle. Uh, but Corey Foreman, the uh, five-star defensive end, number one player in the country from Corona Centennial, uh, was committed to Clemson, has a Clemson tattoo, and uh, now has decommitted. He has a tiger tattoo. Let's let's let's. He has a he has a tiger tattoo. Oh, so, so maybe it's Tiger he might King. Might be just a fan of Tiger King. You never know. He could be a big Joe Exotic fan. We're not sure. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you you kind of left a little hints, some breadcrumbs uh, in the on the peristyle. So if you're a member, you would have been uh, known about this a couple of days ago, but get your thoughts on the whole Corey Foreman news because it's, it's pretty big in, uh, in the world of recruiting with the number one player in the country decommits for a program that doesn't get decommitments, basically. Clemson does not get decommitments. Yeah, this, this has been going on for a while now. I talked to Corey Foreman uh, in person last, 
at the Under Armour camp, which was in February. And, you know, he had just come off committing to Clemson. He and Bo Collins, the four-star wide receiver from St. John Bosco. And so, you know, he's excited. And, and, and Corey's a little different guy. I mean, he doesn't, I think, look at recruiting. You get caught up in recruiting quite like a lot of kids do. He He is a part of that loop. But he's always kind of sort of done his own thing. So he sort of had his own reasons for committing to Clemson. It wasn't just because, hey, you know, they, they're, they're, you know, national championship program just a, a couple years ago. They're top uh, rated year in, year out, this, that, and the other. It was more about his feelings and just his, his I think, relationship with the coaching staff and having been there before. And they sort of rolled out the red carpet for him. And he was supposed to take several visits to the Southeast, and he really didn't. He just went to Clemson, and he canceled his visit to LSU and to Alabama. And he had not actually been to USC uh, recently up until that point. So he was just feeling, you know what, I'm going to make this commitment to Clemson. And it was surprising because it was a bit early. But again, in the back of my head, he'd already told me, look, I could commit at any time. And it, it almost felt like, he wanted to sort of do it differently and maybe surprise people. And he doesn't necessarily really like the recruiting process. And one of the things I joked with him about that day was do you, you, I think you think the recruiting process is going to slow down for you, right? You think <laughs> that now that you've committed to Clemson, that the process is like, you know, it's not going to be um, quite as intense with all these coaches calling you. And he was like, yeah, I kind of did think that. And it's really kind of probably gotten even more intense. And, you know, Todd Orlando was one of the first coaches to call him after he committed to Clemson. And basically, you know, I, I think Coach Orlando was just, man, he'd just been hired. And he was like, we're going to recruit the hell out of you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on you. We're going to make sure that you feel great about USC. And no matter what goes on with Clemson, we're going to be here until you sign. And he's, you know, he was, he was appreciative of that, that, you know, USC was showing that interest and USC was not necessarily backing down. He, he, he kind of admired that, but he was really gun ho with Clemson and he was sure with Clemson. The one point of contention, however, and I made it a point to ask this question was what about Clemson and their attitude towards you taking other unofficial visits? Let's not talk about official visits. Let's just talk about unofficial visits. And he, I could tell he still wanted to take visits. And, and really, I think he wanted to go up to USC for the UCLA-USC basketball game. He was kind of scheduled to come up for that game and to be there unofficially. But Clemson was putting a lot of pressure on him, basically saying, you cannot be a commit to Clemson and visit other schools at all. You know, don't even entertain your interest. And this is something we've seen throughout the years with certain programs. Mac Brown used to do it at Texas. Penn State used to do it with Joe Paterno. And it's one of those things you commit here and you're committed and you can't look at any other schools and you can't go to any other schools. Washington did it a bunch of times with Chris Peterson. And usually what ends up happening is that the kid does take a visit somewhere. He does go somewhere and he's up there with a teammate or something. And then the school is like in this position where they go, well, okay. He was just up there because his brother was visiting the school. Cause I mean, DJ, uh, ukulele, I can't even remember how to pronounce his last name. That's, you know, it's a new cycle now. We're yeah. not <laughs> forget some of the Polynesian <laughs> names from last cycle. But yeah. DJ came up to USC several times. 
and he was quote unquote there with his brother. And we know that wasn't completely true, but he unofficially visited USC. And so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on. And usually the school backs off, but evidently they were being pretty hard pressed with Corey and, and his family and really saying, no, you can't visit any of these other schools. And he felt like he's earned some of these visits and, and, and certainly even just official visits, being able to see these other schools. And I think with Clemson, part of it also comes from the sour taste they have in their mouth with Justin Flo, because they felt like they were the school for Justin Flo for most of the year. And then at the end, he kind of got cold feet and he went down to Clemson for his official visit. And he just realized, man, I don't know. This is far away from home. And this is a really small town. And I just don't know if this is, this is for me. And that was sort of last minute for Clemson. And they, and they did a good job pivoting away from Justin Flo. They ended up getting like another five-star linebacker that week. But I think they they looked at that situation and then they looked at Corey and they went, okay, we really need to make sure that we keep tabs on him. And so it was very early. I think it was silly for Clemson to even take his commitment that early and then even sillier for them to try to press him on it. And I think that hurts them overall. I think that that put a bad taste in Corey's mouth and in his family's mouth. And I don't know – I'm not going to say Clemson can't still get him. I just think it really sort of sets him back and sets them back in terms of relationship and it's going to be harder for them to sort of re-recruit them. And they may even on their end be a little bit wary now and decide, I don't know, you know, coming out to California. Yeah, we got DJ, but you know, we've also had some misses and um, it's, it's tough. It's tough to uh, go across the country and recruit. And certainly with the circumstances and the situation we are in now, with the coronavirus and the quarantines and the, you know, very sort of open-ended um, debate as to whether football can really happen next season. I mean, all of that compounds matters. And so, as we said before, I don't like to talk positively about the situation that we're in and quarantine and everything going on because it's not a positive situation. But in terms of how it's impacting USC and USC recruiting locally, it's helping quite a bit. And I think that, you know, this is just part of that that we're seeing sort of unfold. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. This is uh, some big news in the recruiting world. And uh, there's a lot of we put a bunch of stories up at USCfootball.com. Make sure you go check them out. All the analysis. Um, another big. That's it. We're done talking about Corey Foreman, right? Are we, well, we're, we're there's going to be a lot of questions, but we just, uh, <laughs> we're, we'll probably skip some of those because you did a really good job uh, breaking it down. But we'll, we'll go. Oh, through thank some you of them. very much, Ryan. I appreciate that. We'll do some of them. Um, one of the top uncommitted players now. Well, I guess not anymore that Corey Foreman's uncommitted, but. Uh, he's a top 50 guy, uh, four-star cornerback, a quarterback, I almost said cornerback, quarterback, uh, Miller Moss, um, Bishop Alamany High School. And I end up having a one-on-one -on -one interview with him yesterday on our Tunnel Vision show. So if you don't, if you have not checked that out, we've been doing a lot of Tunnel Visions, which are live broadcasts where we'll get questions from the audience, from the chat rooms, or sometimes uh, live phone calls. And normally it's been a studio show with the coronavirus stuff. We haven't all been able to do that in studio, but um, Keely and Shotgun and myself will do a show every Sunday night. But I started doing some kind of one-on-one -on -one interviews. We had Matt Leinert on. Uh, we had Alex Michelson on from uh, Fox 11 News here in Los Angeles. We had Jake Olson on. And we decided to branch out into some recruiting, which we haven't done before on the show. And uh, Miller Moss, Gerard recommended as a good first person to talk to and we uh, ended up getting him on the show yesterday and it was great 
Uh, I got to put some highlights up while we were talking to him. We talked for about 40 minutes or so. A bunch of questions from the audience, uh, some great questions from uh, my staff that they sent to me and actually publishers of his top four from Alabama, LSU, UCLA, and USC. So uh, I know you watch it, Gerard. Any takeaways from our, our first uh, you know, experiment you know, trying to talk to an uncommitted prospect on our Tunnel Vision show? Yeah, it was great. I think it was fantastic. And, and Miller is just such a pro. I mean, he is not only very polished, but he's also very sincere. And, and I think he really thinks about these things. You know, he really has some uh, sort of insight and introspect into the recruiting process that he articulates very well. And so, you know, when you talk about specific questions, which, you know, a lot, a lot of quarterbacks are well-polished and they've sort of gone, gone over media and interviews and how they want to say things and they're prepped by their parents and everything, but they know to sort of sidestep certain questions. And one question that, you know, we've had from Miller, I know Miller's answered this a bunch of times, is, okay, you like USC a lot. USC has Jake Garcia, four-star, uh, from La Habra, committed already. You know, how does that impact your decision? He's probably been asked that a hundred times. And he doesn't just kind of sidestep the question or avoid the question. He really talks in depth about, you know, I, I don't want another recruit or quarterback specifically making a decision that somehow impacts my decision and going into detail why that doesn't matter to him. And I think a lot of the questions that you asked, a lot of stuff that you talked about, you know, you get a very in-depth view of there's some sincerity there as to, you know, what he's really thinking about and and what the process is for him and how he's trying to approach it in this difficult time. And so I, I think, you know, it's one of those things It's easy to be a fan of Miller Moss, regardless of where he goes to school. And I think, you know, that came out certainly in the interview came out, you know, he has a lot of underlying interest in USC for various different reasons. It's just going to be interesting to see how this quarterback position and recruiting this cycle plays out. We know USC really has to get two quarterbacks in this class. USC has struggled recruiting two quarterbacks in classes with Clay Helton. You know, it goes back to Tate Martell and Tui Tagovailoa, um, Shea Patterson and KJ Costello, <laughs> you know, DJ and Bryant, uh, uh, Bryce Young. Um, it's always, you know, when you've got two quarterbacks, USC gets no quarterback sort of thing. And so they're sort of in that situation right now where they've got Jake Garcia committed. Um, so you've got, you know, your foot in the door with where you want to go with the recruiting back, uh, the quarterback recruiting, but you still have to get that other guy. And if you go after that other guy, does it somehow unhinge the commitment of Jake Garcia. So we're just kind of have to sort of wait, see how that unfolds. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting to watch, but I think, you know, from Miller Moss's perspective, certainly uh, he doesn't care who's committed to USC. If he wants to go to USC, then he's going to go to USC uh, based on his own reasons and not because of what other recruits are doing. Yeah, he was, he was great to talk to. Like you said, a total pro and uh, it's, you know, we, usually we have more help with these shows, but because of the quarantine, when you're doing these, you kind of have to do it by yourself. Like I'm here and I'm like going through all the questions and, and he was sometimes, you know, that could put a little more of a burden on the person being interviewed because I have like a lot of stuff going on while he's talking, but he would give like perfectly the answers were like 
great length. There wasn't a lot of short ones where I would get caught. You know, he could have been doing a short answer while I was like looking for another question or trying to pull up a graphic and it would have been, you know, it would have been bad, but he didn't do that. He just made it really easy to interview. And, uh, we had, I thought it was a great report. It was great. We talked about all the schools that he was interested in and stuff. So, uh, hopefully we do more of those, but he set the bar pretty high. So, uh, that was a, he set the bar pretty high. He he's, he's of the guys in this class, real echelon when it comes to interviews. And, and I mean, honestly, in any class, you know, there's only, a handful of guys you're going to get that can speak articulately and really, like I said, try to give you some insight into the questions that you're asking. And, you know, a lot of times it's just one of those things that you're talking about a live broadcast. That's hard to do when, you know, it just becomes sort of this kind of cringe fest because you're asking questions and maybe the kid doesn't quite understand the question. And there's a set weird silence or they answer, they have an answer to a question that you didn't ask, which is very, very frequently happens in interviews when I'm doing them. Um, I often have to ask the same question various different times throughout the interview, just different ways. So I, so, you know, that, that it sort of clicks with, with the kid as we're talking like, Oh, okay. You know, that's what you're asking. That's what you're trying to get at without being too obvious and just, you know, just pounding away at it. Like, you know, three, four times in a row. Well, no, I really want to know about this. You're trying to have a conversation with somebody. You're trying to allow them to, to open up and to feel comfortable with you. And so you have to sort of know how to negotiate the peaks and valleys of that interview in terms of what you're asking and, and anticipating what might come out of their mouths and what they might want to talk about and what they might not want to talk about without necessarily asking loaded questions because you're anticipating, you know, what, what might come out of their mouths and what they might not want to talk about. And, you know, you're always sort of going back and forth. That's easy to do when you're just talking in a recorded conversation, but when you're doing it live, you don't have that, that, that margin of error, that, that width to be able to sort of uh, feel it out, you know, without it being kind of weird and being kind of cringy. And then of course, you know, when you have live questions, you've got to be on top of censoring those, you know, we don't want to necessarily make it a whole fanboy type thing. And, and, uh, and just, you know, have people, you know, Hey, you should go to, you know, USC because blah, 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 blah. And the question is really just, you should go to USC <laughs> you know right. what I mean? We're we're not there to be a part of the process. We're there to cover the process. So yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. And like I said, I I think with Miller Moss, that's a that's a home run. Uh, there might be some other guys out there that that we can approach and and get on there. But um, yeah, the the it's not many guys that you can get that type of interview with. Yeah, he was great. So I appreciate Miller Moss uh, for doing that. We'll try to do some more. Like Gerard said, we'll have to pick and choose to get some good ones. Um, speaking of picking and choosing, USC did pick, you mentioned four in the month of April, three, uh, just last week, uh, new verbal commitments for USC now up to number five, the number five class overall for the class of 2020 recruiting class of 2020 after finishing number 55 for the class of 20, I mean, I'm sorry for the class of 2021 after finishing 55th for the class of 2020. So, um, some good moves being made. We got a voicemail about the first commitment from over the weekend or, or late last week. I'll play this one for you, Gerard, and then we'll talk about him and the other two commitments that came in. So let me play it for you. Hey, Peristyle, this is Curtis. Nobody else is calling but me. Leave some voicemails. Anthony Beavers just committed. Remember back when he decommitted from Oregon when we hired all the coaches, especially the one from Oregon, 
I sent in a message that said that's the first domino to fall. I didn't know we were going to get him. But just imagine this pair of style. If these new coaches coach the players the way that they recruit, we're going to have a really good team for a long time. Curtis. Yes. <laughs> Curtis kind of just laid it out there. Not much of a question, but – uh, well, certainly, yeah. If, if uh, you know, the defensive side of the ball, as we talked about before, uh, if they're able to coach up, you know, the, the defenses they're recruiting, oh, yeah, they, they'll be fantastic. Now, you know, they're two separate things. <laughs> they're two different things. So we can't necessarily imply one from the other. But, yeah, certainly, I, I think I would definitely agree with that. And Anthony Beavers was definitely, you know, the first domino to fall. You know, that domino sort of fell before – Dante Williams was on his way out of Oregon. Um, he was already kind of starting to, I think, get a little bit of cold feet. And I, I say this, you know, several times over the past uh, month or so, is that uh, Craig Niver has been a huge part of this as well. I mean, these are mostly safety commits that USC's obtained. You know, Anthony Beavers, I know he's rated as an athlete. I'm not really sure 100% why. I think he's definitely a safety and he's a safety is probably going to end up being a star back, which is a kind of a new position uh, for that USC defense in the tight front where you're taking a safety and you're, you're putting him at the line of scrimmage a lot, uh, especially in three safety looks. And that's what I think USC, you're going to see a lot of that. And so he's a guy six foot 195, but I think he's a guy that's going to end up being 210, 215, and they'll play near the line of scrimmage as a guy that can tackle well in the open field. Uh, it's a little more athletic than your average outside linebacker and a guy that can get back in coverage if he needs to and actually go deep with the coverage. And so he's he's sort of a, a hybrid player, I think. Um, Zamirian Gordon is the 6'2", 185-pound safety from Downey who committed and a guy that I think, you know, we really haven't seen much in person. It's just, you know, kind of a physical specimen, a guy that shows up well on film, very long, um, has a ton of upside athletically. It's just a matter of production and again, seeing him in person, if we're going to get to see him in person this year, you know, what is he like as, a, as just a football player in terms of instincts and, and just getting to see, I guess, him in action is going to be the big thing with him. But a guy that, you know, everybody's very high on um, just from, I think, film mostly. And uh, like I said, the upside that he has physically. And then the last safety uh, who's also, again, rated as an athlete, but I think projects definitely as a safety is Kelly Bullock from Pasadena Muir High School, who's another longer 6'1", 6'2". He's probably like a buck 70. He's got to put weight on. I talked to Drew Pearson, who used to be a graduate assistant at USC and was a defensive coordinator at Muir uh, early on when Kalen had got to Muir. And um, he he just thinks the world of Kalen Bullock. He he says he's incredibly instinctual. Um, He does have sort of enough ball skills to get away and play receiver but being sort of a post single high safety is really where he's going to make his biggest impact. And uh, just the speed to go sideline to sideline, the length, it's really just a matter of him putting on weight and then just getting the system down. And, uh, you know, Drew Pearson felt like he was going to be a big time player, compared him to the likes of uh, Marvell Tell and somewhat to TJ McDonald as well. So, you know, certainly USC is going to need it. They're probably going to lose Teleno Hufunga. They're, May even you lose Isaiah Polamau as well. The two starting safeties. Um, I think both those guys 
fit this new defense really well. And if they're able to play a season next year, I think you're going to see them play extremely well and, and be kind of focal points almost with the defense. Whereas I, I think they became featured parts of Clancy Pendergast's defense just sort of because they're really good players. Uh, Isaiah Pullman was sort of kind of coming on to his own there at the end of the season. He he had some nice games. He sold some flashes, also showed a lot of inconsistency. I think that's where, you know, he has to sort of step up as a full-time starter, you know, returning this year. And Telenoa's just got to stay healthy. You know, he's a guy that is, is fantastic and is uh, potentially, you know, a, a first-round, second-round pick um, if he can just stay healthy. But I think he's another guy that you can put at that start-back position at almost 220 pounds, and he's just a, a guy that you use in the open space to tackle a lot on the perimeter and the RPO, and also a guy that you blitz a lot and try to get in the offensive backfield. Yeah. Um, as far as the other commitment, uh, Maximus Gibbs uh, from St. John Bosco, the three-star uh, offensive tackle. He's ranked 533rd in the country uh, by the 24-7 sports composite. Just seems like with offers, the kind of offers he has, Alabama, USC, stuff like that. It, I mean, is he someone who's going to move up the rankings, I would assume? I think a lot of the potential that we see and Maximus Gibbs is going to be based around him continuing to lose weight. I think he shoots up the rankings with a great season based on him losing weight, becoming more mobile, getting more balanced, uh, just you know being a little more consistent. Because last year was really the first year where he had a long stretch where he was starting games as an interior offensive lineman. He was kind of sort of a part-time starter in the beginning of the year. So talking with Terry Bullock, who's kind of the unofficial uh, director of player personnel for St. John Bosco, I know that's not his official title, but he works with these kids and he's involved with these kids. And he's known Maximus Gibbs from since he was in the Snoop League and being on the Netflix documentary. And I think, you know, with Maximus, who was, you know, coming in at like 400 pounds or something and getting that weight down, the biggest question right now is without uh, offseason weight training program without off-season conditioning and the coaches being able to work with the kids throughout the spring, do you fear Maximus going and blowing back up to that 400-pound range? And he didn't. He didn't think so. He didn't think that was going to be an issue. He talked about, you know, how far Maximus Gibbs has come, you know, from being in that 400-pound range to getting down to about 360. And he said, you know, a, a big part of it is that, you know, St. John Bosco, Modern Day, Alamany, you know, Santa Margarita, a lot of those schools uh, that we see here in color, Southern California that are big-time football programs, they have a lot of resources. And so, you know, St. John Bosco, they give those kids workout plans, and those workout plans, they involve weights. And if you can't get weights, they involve plyometrics and sprints and, and air squats and things that you can do without that. And so Terry was pretty optimistic that Maximus was going to be able to hold up. And hopefully by the time we get into the summer, they will be able to get the kids back and there will be a football season. And if he plays, the light bulb has sort of, you know, gone on for him. He's sort of last season at the end of last season. That's when you started to see that potential turn into production. And that's really the thing that is going to skyrocket uh, his rankings. You know, I've talked to Greg Biggins about him. I've talked to Brandon Huffham about him, you know, over the years, because he's a guy that we've all kind of sort of known about. And really it always comes back to, can he control his weight? And, you know, and, and can the athleticism that is there and the footwork 
and everything else you want from this just gigantic human being, can he sort of put that all together and be consistent with his production? Because, you know, it's again, it's been sparse and it's been sort of flashes of it. And you want to see that consistently. And I think this is the year, certainly, where everybody sort of looks at that. And if you can put it together and kind of take off where he was at the end of last year, I think he will be a four-star recruit. All right. Well, we'll see uh, for that. But three new commitments uh, over the past few days. So some some more buzz with USC football recruiting continues to happen. Um, I guess we could start jumping into the questions, Gerard. Uh, let's see. I got one from an email. This is from Don. He says, uh, Clay Helton and USC are getting all these four-star recruit commitments. Uh, they really need to have a good 2020 season or they'll lose them all. How many, if any, do you believe are solid commitments? What a difference to have coaching coaches recruiting and serious about winning certainly gives us optimism for the next football season. If there is one, it will most likely start in October or November. That's according to Don. Well, as of right now, because obviously we talk in this context, which we don't know whether there will be a season or not. So it's hard to say, you know, if they do this or they do that without the season, they win this many games. We don't even know if there's going to be a season. So we can only look at the here and now. And here and now, I think all those kids are pretty solid. I think there's definitely a rallying cry, the take back the West hashtag, has definitely influenced and made an impact in recruiting. And I think it's uh, gone a long ways and there's a ton of traction there. Now, you know, if we're going to go into the, okay, hypothetically let's say there is a football season and now we're going to go hypothetically and try to guess how many games USC can win. And we're always in that point of, you know, can they win 10 games? Can they win 11 games? That's sort of the threshold between, you know, having a good season recruiting wise and having, maybe a mediocre season recruiting-wise. And so that's where I, I think they still are. Will they lose all their commits? No, I, I think they have better recruiters um, just on the staff that are more on top of it, um, not the part-time recruiters that we've seen on Clay Helton's staff in years past where you just had months go by and there's very little contact between the position coaches and those recruits, and other schools take advantage of that. And so you don't have as much of that now, and I think that makes a difference certainly with or without a season. All right. We're going to get to the rest of your USC football recruiting questions, mostly coming from the peristyle, but we are having some technical problems, some internet issues between Gerard and myself. We weren't able to keep the connection going. It would keep breaking up. So what we're going to do is just kind of end the, my portion of the podcast here. I will let you guys go. And Gerard Martinez will read all of the questions. There was, I think there was one email question, and uh, a whole bunch of questions on the peristyle. He's going to read them himself and answer the questions along the way. So what I'm going to do is play that for you now. It won't be uh, my voice anymore. You'll be able to hear Gerard going through that peristyle thread and answering all of the recruiting questions. So sorry about that. We had to break this up, but uh, the internet just kept going in and out, and we wanted to get this podcast up as soon as possible. So we'll just have Gerard do the rest of the questions himself. So we're going to answer these questions straight from the peristyle, and we're going to do this in rapid succession. So let's get after it. SE Troy 12487 asks, Corey Foreman, question mark, question mark. So <laughs> I guess that pertains to what's happening with Corey Foreman. 
five-star defensive end from Corona Centennial. Uh, we talked a little bit about this in the beginning. Decommitted from Clemson officially uh, as we know it. Uh, USC is definitely one of the schools recruiting him the hardest. We did make a prediction that he would end up at USC. We'll see how that goes. There's going to be other schools recruiting him very hard. Oregon's going to be after him. Washington's going to be after him. Uh, much of the SEC will continue to recruit him. LSU will recruit him hard. So Corey Foreman, the latest is he's decommitted from Clemson. He is considering USC. USC will continue to recruit him as one of their top priorities. And I think one of the biggest things for them, factor-wise, is to get him on campus and get him to sit down with a new defensive line coach, uh, Vic Sooto, new defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando. Todd Orlando has already talked to him. Uh, I think just a couple days after Todd Orlando was hired by USC, he was on the phone talking to Corey Foreman, and he was one of the first coaches. I think he might have been the first coach to actually call Corey Foreman after he announced his commitment to Clemson. So he has a little bit of a relationship with Todd Orlando, a little bit of a relationship with Vic Soto, but they got to get him on campus and get him face-to-face. The second question comes from Superboy, USC 08. He wants to know, what are the chances of USC landing Davis and Foreman? So we talked a little bit about Foreman. Rashawn Davis is the Davis that uh, Superboy is referring to. Uh, 6'1", 220-pound linebacker at a modern-day high school. Committed to LSU currently. Uh, we've talked about this in the warm a little bit. And I know this is a free podcast, so I don't want to reveal too much. But I think USC has a chance certainly to land one of these recruits. Both five stars, uh, both impact players. I think uh, Rashawn Davis, I think there's a good chance of him decommitting from LSU. Um, don't want to throw any guarantees out there as to where he ends up. I think USC, Ohio State is definitely in the mix for Rashawn Davis. And so is ASU because of Chris Hawkins. And he was recruiting uh, Rashawn Davis quite a bit when he was at USC, now the defensive back coach at Arizona State. So I think uh, Ohio State and USC, I would say, probably would be up there up front, uh, along with LSU, because I believe LSU will still be in the mix with him, just like Clemson will still be in the mix for Corey Foreman. So thanks for that question. Superboy, fight on from TX, fight on from Texas. Ask, what role do you see Oregon playing in uh, Corey Foreman's recruitment? They preach development over history and tradition, and the USC coaching staff, the USC coaching staff, hasn't had a chance to prove and, uh, that they can develop talent yet. So, I mean, they'll play a part in his recruitment, certainly, and uh, Oregon has recruited well against USC in previous years, uh, but that's really why USC went out and they got a new defensive staff. I think the defensive recruiting was bad. Uh, you had some coaches that uh, weren't really recruiting full-time. And I think that uh, this is totally different staff. And at the top, with Todd Orlando, in terms of his energy and in terms of his approach to recruiting, while he's not necessarily known as being a great recruiter, I think just his energy and the staff as a whole sort of brings everybody to a new standard and the bar is being set much higher. And then certainly I think Dante Williams coming from Oregon, knowing how Oregon recruits, 
sort of having a very good inside into the blueprint and how they approach recruiting and being a guy that was really a part of that as well. I think part of their recruiting strategy was built by Dante Williams. And so now USC has that. I think that definitely plays well. Uh, Oregon will definitely uh, be a part and probably get an official visit from Corey Foreman. Um, So certainly it's not like the Ducks don't have a chance and they won't be a big player in his recruitment. Uh, But I think that uh, USC is not the same USC that Oregon's been recruiting against uh, with Kayvon Thibodeau and Justin Flo. Uh, another uh, tidbit in here, Keeley actually got into the thread and said, in before 100 questions about Corey Foreman, good job, Keeley. You made it. You did it. Uh, your day is complete. You got in before 100 questions. However, there was three questions before you posted. So uh, think about that a little bit. Uh, but good job on the 100 questions. Uh, down with Disease 92, an ominous title for this day and age right now. And the quarantine that we're in. How solid is Ma'a? Ma'a, get to Ote. Uh, what is the eval on him and Ethan Calvert? Ethan Calvert is the 6'3, 230 pound four star linebacker from Oaks Christian High School, uh, a linebacker that has high interest in USC right now. He's the younger brother of Bo Calvert, who was committed to USC uh, one day in time uh, when uh, USC actually had Johnny Nansen as the outside linebacker coach. And USC kind of sort of dropped Bo. And the ironic thing is now, Bo is at UCLA and so is Johnny Nansen. Weird how these things all sort of fall into place. So Ethan is now considering USC. And UCLA is actually thought to be maybe the school that's competing the most uh, with USC right now for his uh, commitment. And in terms of the eval with Calvert, He's a guy that can play safety. He's kind of built, bulking up, and he's built himself up to where now he's looked at more as a linebacker. Incredibly violent at the point of attack. Fast. He's still got a little bit of that uh, that speed that he had when he was playing safety. Um, an athlete, and definitely, I think, far and away, the best linebacker uh, in the class on film right now. Now, my Goteote is... Probably two. He's probably right behind him. Not as much production. Hasn't been quite the playmaker. Now, you know, with Ma, he's playing at St. John Bosco and he just transferred uh, last fall. I mean, he literally transferred like the week before fall camp um, from Faith Lutheran. I think he was in uh, Las Vegas. So he's kind of sort of just sort of getting his feel and and was not necessarily a full-time starter for St. John Bosco last year, but did play a lot. Um, but a guy that's a little more sideline to sideline, different than his brother because he's not quite as north and south and certainly is not as big as his brother. His brother really played a lot uh, as a edge rusher when he was playing for Bishop Gorman as a five-star recruit. And so, you know, with Pala EA, who's at USC now, uh, and that is Ma's older brother, he's a little more of a north and south guy. And reason why I kind of talked about him potentially maybe playing that Jack B-backer spot in Todd Orlando's tight front is just because that sort of seems to be his strength. Pale EA is a north and south guy, big, heavy kid, heavy hitter, but not necessarily sideline to sideline, not necessarily a space eater. And we saw him really the past two years where he was trailing a lot of plays 
trying to run them down from the backside. And that just doesn't seem to necessarily be his strength. So that was why when we were talking about this tight front and we wrote about this tight front and sort of what it meant to the personnel at USC, I said, you know, Polly EA is a guy that I could see potentially playing out on the edge a little bit because that is sort of his natural inclination. It seems that's where he's most comfortable uh, because he can get north and south a little more. But in this tight front defense, you're using your linebackers to blitz a lot. You've got a three-man front, and almost every play, you're going to be blitzing a middle linebacker. You're going to be blitzing your mic, or you're going to be blitzing your will, or you're going to be blitzing your jack. You're always going to have somebody coming, and you're usually going to have somebody coming from the secondary as well. That's sort of what the defense is. It's a, it's a shell game of who's going to blitz and using more mobile, quicker players to be able to attack the offensive backfield. Um, so with Ma... He's a little more of a sideline tie-line guy. He's a little more of a guy that I think plays better in space. He's just not the thumper and the explosive player at the line of scrimmage that I think Polly EA was coming out of high school. The next question is from TR104, and he asked, with Jalen Davies, CB, crystal ball, to Ohio State, what are we looking like in terms of corners for this cycle? So interestingly enough, I'm actually writing uh, right now as we speak a piece on the target list. And so we'll do an offense and defensive target list inside look. So we'll talk a little bit about some of the movement that we've seen with the target list in terms of interest. You know, the players that have gone from maybe medium interest to high interest or high interest to medium interest to low interest, et cetera, et cetera, and talk a little bit some of the movement with rankings, which there hasn't been a whole lot just because there really hasn't been many opportunities to evaluate kids uh, right now during the spring. But with the cornerback position in USC, I would say this. Uh, I think USC is recruiting Davies. I think they like Davies. But right now, from what I gather and what I see, I think Jalen Smith uh, from Mission Hills, Alamany High School, four-star athlete, and Sierra Wright, uh, four-star from Los Angeles Loyola High School, are the two main targets at corner. I think those are the guys that USC is really circling the wagons for. They have the safety position kind of sort of wrapped up from what I can see. I think that Anthony Beavers, Kalen Bullock, and uh, Zamirian uh, Gordon are kind of the three that they wanted and the three that they got. And I think they're pretty solid right now. And I, I think it's dependent on the overall numbers in the 21-21 class. Excuse me, 2021 class. Uh, we're not there to 2021 yet. Um, you probably hitting five defensive backs as a whole. And I think you're probably going two corners and three safeties. Jalen Smith can sort of play both. I think he's more of a nickel guy, could play free safety, could play corner. He's sort of a, a Swiss army knife a bit as a defensive back, but he's definitely high on the list. And I think Sierra Wright, a guy that runs a 10 8 800 meters, he's got some proven times. He ran fast at the Trojans Elite Camp. He's camped with USC. I think USC is very comfortable with him from that standpoint. Um, I think Ohio State pushes hard for Jalen Davies because they also want to try to get Rayshon Davis. I think that's sort of the modern-day duo. I think for any out-of-state, really any out-of-state program, this goes for USC when they're recruiting out-of-state as well, it's always nice when you have sort of a, a built-in support system with a commit that's out of state. So if Ohio State was able to get Jalen Davies, I think that certainly helps them keep an eye on Rayshon Davis. It doesn't mean that Rayshon Davis is a lock to Ohio State, but it definitely means that they get to sort of have an idea what's going on. They've got Jalen Davies solidly committed 
then they have somebody to sort of keep an eye on what Rashawn Davis is doing and vice versa. So I think there's a big play for Ohio State there just with trying to recruit Rashawn Davis. USC doesn't necessarily need that because they're the local school. So recruiting Rashawn Davis, they'll have plenty of eyes and ears around his recruitment. Uh, But I think for USC right now, the two guys that stand out the most are going to be Jalen Smith and Sierra Wright. Fight, fight on from Texas is back again. Uh, but just for a little reply to Keeley, so I won't even read that. Uh, TWP Trojan asked, GM, what about Thomas Cole? The old lineman prospect that's been blowing up with offers recently. Uh, is SE involved? Uh, to my knowledge, USC is not really involved. Uh, they're not really recruiting him very much. Uh, he hasn't really come up um, in any conversations that I've had. Um, I think USC's kind of looking other places. doesn't mean that they may not recruit him in the future. Uh, I know he's kind of from a smaller school, from an area that's not necessarily a big-time football area. I think with offensive linemen, uh, with USC thus far, there's a lot of push to go after guys that have camped, that they're comfortable with physically, and they've seen up close, and Thomas Cole just might not be one of those guys. Uh, Mr. J. Lee 21 asks, of the th- four schools from Miller Moss, LSU, Alabama, UCLA, USC, uh, what is the percentage you would give on each landing his commitment? Wow. That's a tough question. I mean, what's the percentage I would give for USC uh, right now? I think it's a little bit of a wait and see. I, I think the quarterback position for USC recruiting wise is unfolding as we speak. Uh, obviously, they have Jake Garcia committed, four-star at a La Habra High School. They like him. Um, they've been loyal to him. And I think with Miller Moss, there might be some some complications there if they were able to go and take Miller Moss as a commitment. So we've talked about that a little bit in the war room. Um, and that will be something that's kind of an ongoing story. I'm not 100% sure. I know Miller Moss. Um, and in here actually says Moss Miller, uh, Miller Moss is a, is a huge USC fan. And I think, um, he definitely likes USC. There's definitely an inherited advantage that USC has in his recruitment. Um, but I think there's just things that sort of have to still shake out. So I don't want to throw percentages out there. Um, I think USC has a great shot at him. Uh, but USC is not just recruiting Miller Moss also. They have some other uh, quarterbacks that they've been recruiting. So we'll see kind of how that uh, how that plays out. It's definitely something I think over the next month to two months, we're really going to just have to watch and see. Uh, Wamu, 1975, asks, how about those Brock, uh, the Brockmeyer brothers out of Texas? Uh, any realistic shot at either? Uh, no shot at Tommy Brockermeyer because USC has not offered Tommy Brockermeyer. Um, they just offered last night James Brockermeyer, center, 6'5", 275, out of Fort Worth. And um, there might be a little bit of a shot there. I, I know USC is definitely playing from behind. You've got, uh, I think, Auburn, um, LSU, Alabama. You've got a few schools that are already sort of in his top list. So USC is playing from behind a bit. Um, so I, I would say realistic right now, I think it's a long shot. Um, and it's certainly not going after his brother. And the reasoning, I think, is just because he's such a long shot as well. Uh, but I think for James, maybe there's a little more traction there. Maybe there's a little bit more potential. Um, you know, Tommy's the number one offensive tackle in the 2021 class. He is the number one offensive tackle. And I know USC fans are saying, well, we need offensive tackles. Why aren't you offering that kid? If the ship has sailed, the ship has sailed. And I, I think good recruiting staffs do recognize those things and they do see 
who they have a shot at, and who they're just wasting their time with. Uh, with James, he's a number one center, but there's a big difference between being a four-star number one center nationally and being the number one offensive tackle nationally. King of LA asks, the staff recruiting momentum right now is obviously undeniable. If the football season does happen, what kind of record do you think USC needs to keep to keep that momentum? Uh, conversely, if the season does not happen, would you think the staff would be able to sustain the current rem- uh, momentum through signing day? Yes, I definitely think if the season doesn't happen, they're going to have a lot of momentum and they're going to continue that momentum specifically with local players. If the season happens, and we kind of touched on this a little bit before when Ryan and I were talking, I, I think it's always that magic 10-11 wins. That, that 10-11 wins is what gets you to a point where you can get to that top 10 recruiting class. Um, I think without that, it's really difficult unless you're bringing in a whole new coaching staff uh, or, or just a new head coach with some new pieces to the puzzle and they can sell a new scheme, a new regime, a new change of culture. And sometimes you see that where a team will maybe come out of nowhere and they'll get a bunch of commits um, because of that overhaul. Uh, but if the staff remains basically the same, you got to win games and you've got to show that uh, you're developing talent and you got to get some first round picks out, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think it always sort of revolves around double digit wins. Chris Jovino comes in and asks, why would you return my phone calls? Chris, I talk to you more than my mom and dad combined. Uh, SE Maid asks, does the staff try to have a majority of this class filled prior to October and then focus on the last few blue chips going into early signing day. How impressed are you, GM, with this new staff and how it compared to the last staff? Uh, very impressed. I am somewhat surprised that they've been able to turn it around as quickly as they have uh, without having to kind of really put a product on the field. Do they try to fill the class prior to October? I tell you, obviously having a season is going to make a huge impact on how you recruit. So if you don't have a season, I'm not sure how long you wait, if you wait at all. You know, there's there's not, there's you know, there's always the potential that they could have official visits and not a season, and that would obviously dictate, you know, how you want your recruiting stat strategy to play out. Um, if you're going to be able to still have official visits towards the end of the year and they say, okay, we're not having a football season, but we are allowing limited official visits. Maybe the NCAA says, you know what? You can have five official visitors at a time, you know, because some schools bring in dozens and they have these big recruiting weekends. Maybe there's something where they say, you know what? We can't have a season. We're not going to have a season, but we're going to have some visits, but there's restrictions on how many kids you can bring in, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's got to wear masks. You know, uh, the really crazy thing about that is, is that going to be dictated by the NCAA or is it going to be dictated by the conferences themselves? That's where it gets scary because, you know, the SEC is going to push the envelope and they're going to do things that maybe the Pac-12 won't. So we're going to see how that plays out. But in terms of the season versus just having official visits, that's going to dictate how you push for recruits. I think if there's no season and there's no set plan for official visits, I think you just go balls to the walls. As much get the guys you can get as soon as you can get them. I don't know that there's any reason to wait to hang out for blue chips. You know, just kind of just linger a little bit and try to close strong. You just got to close. Period. You know, there's if there's no official visits, there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for schools like Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, all these out of state schools that have been coming in to California and taking away the top players. Oregon included. 
there's nothing there that's like sort of the other shoe that's going to drop. They basically shown them these kids everything that they have to show. So it's going to be really all about USC. And certainly if you have the ability to take unofficial visits, but maybe travel is still restricted where you can't take official visits. I mean, there's a lot of nuances and there's a lot of levels that could happen, which would impact recruiting quite a bit. And if that was the case where you could get down unofficially and be on a campus, man, that would probably be a huge advantage to USC. Um, but we're going to have to see how this whole thing plays out. It's it's going to be tough to try to predict. Um, and I'm certainly uh, not a biochemist or infectious disease expert, so I don't want to go there. Next question. USC Rocks asks, what is the ceiling for this class, ranking-wise? Top three potential? Uh, certainly top three. They're number five right now. And the top two which I believe off the top of my head are Ohio State and it's not Clemson anymore. It might be LSU. I'm not really sure. Let's look right now and see what the top team rankings are. Okay, Ohio State and North Carolina. North Carolina. That is surprising. Um, I didn't know North Carolina was uh, recruiting that well. I knew they were recruiting well, but I didn't know they were number two in the top 24-7 team ranking. So you've got Ohio State at number one with 17 commits. They've got three five stars. They're killing it right now. Uh, North Carolina with 14 commits. Florida with 13 commits. Then Clemson with nine and USC with nine. So obviously USC, not only nine commits in their top five. Uh, They've got uh, seven four stars, two three stars. Ohio State's already got 17 commits. So yeah, definitely USC can make up that ground. I don't think that would be um, out of this, out of the question whatsoever, especially if you start adding guys like Corey Foreman and Rajon Davis to the mix. Um, and this will be a big class for USC. This will be a class that will be 21, 22, maybe even more than that. And so it's not going to be like the last class where you, or you know, you're going to have uh, less than 20 commits in the class, which in and of itself is going to impact your ranking. Uh, get call asks, has USC established any targets for a second quarterback in the event they only get one out of the current top names. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that in um, you know, the Miller-Moss question. I don't know if they've established the number two guy. I think right now, you know, of that group, other than Miller-Moss, you've got a bunch of guys that are committed to other schools. And so you know, it's one of those things, can they get traction with the kid that's already committed to another school? Or are they going to have to start um, introducing new offers and expanding their options? I think that's really the biggest pivot that you're going to see is when you see new offers go out and you see their options expand, then you know that they're either not satisfied with the group that they have offered or they don't feel good about flipping one of those commitments. So I think that's kind of sort of where it stands for the second quarterback in the class. I think they are very... Um, comfortable and they like what they have with Jake Garcia. It's a matter of moving on uh, from him. Looking ahead here, I see a couple questions about JT Tuimoalo, the five-star strong side defensive end from Washington. A question here from TX Parker. I was surprised to see the big DT from Washington listed with high interest in USC on the defensive target list. Can you speak to USC's approach in recruiting him, and what is the word on his leaders? Uh, Leader-wise, Ohio State, Washington, 
And USC has sort of snuck in there, I think, in his top three. He has a very good relationship with Kerry Colbert. Uh, he is the cousin, I believe, of Ray Maluga. And so there's some traction there for USC. And I think when you start to talk about the target list and whether a recruit is listed with high or medium interest, medium interest is there's a chance he could officially visit USC. You know, there's a chance USC may be in his top five or six. When you talk about high interest, you're talking about top two or three. And so that's why he made that jump uh, into having high interest for USC. So um, that's sort of where USC stands right now. Uh, It's going to be a bit of a war and a bit of a battle. Um, I know there was a few other questions about him as well. We'll get into those um, as they come up. But I know uh, just kind of looking ahead here, I I saw a few different questions. So I think JT Tuimualu is going to become a name that we're going to hear a lot more um, in this podcast and podcasts in the future. Uh, Golf O-Hack or Golf Zero Hack Ask, with Corey Foreman having just decommitted, any info on anything similar with Bo Collins? Is SC on him as hard as they are with Corey? Um, This is the first question of several questions here. Um, I haven't really heard a whole lot about Bo Collins. I know USC loves Bo Collins. They like Bo Collins. They are going to probably continue to recruit Bo Collins hard. uh, But I have not heard anything uh, quite like we had been hearing with Corey Foreman over the last couple weeks. Um, that was information that had been brewing for a while. And again, I kind of spoke at this at the top of the podcast with Ryan. When I interviewed Corey Foreman back at the Under Armour camp, I knew that he wanted to take some visits and I knew that Clemson didn't want him to take visits. And so I, <laughs> I had an idea that that was going to somehow play out And I had a feeling it might end up with Corey Foreman decommitting. So even back then, there was a sense that uh, not everything was hunky-dory with his commitment to Clemson. And maybe he made that a little bit too early. Uh, The second question, is anything solid to the rumors about Elias uh, Elias Ricks, uh, the 2020 five-star cornerback who was from modern day? And he had originally uh, been there but transferred over to IMG for his senior season. Anything about him rethinking in, uh, I guess, you know, being at LSU and potentially returning to California. So Rick's uh, committed to LSU. Uh, his parents, to my knowledge, moved to Baton Rouge with him. That's one that I think people just sort of connect the dots with. And he said some things on social media to imply that he misses California. We know that during the recruiting process, when he was at IMG, he was very homesick for California. And he was set to officially visit USC, and it didn't work out. And then I think LSU put a lot of pressure on him, and his parents decided, you know what, you need to stick with it, and you need to stick to LSU, and they basically forbode him from going and visiting USC. Uh, But that's a guy that just knowing his personality, he's very much a Southern California type of person, and I think that it's going to be tough for him at LSU. That's one that you could just kind of feel like, yeah, maybe he ends up transferring. I'm not saying that's happening. I'm not saying that uh, that the rumors are true, but there's been plenty of rumors. And I think, again, that's a little bit of people just connecting the dots and people around him that are close to him saying, man, is he really an LSU type of guy? Is he really going to want to live in Baton Rouge? I think that's a lot of that where that's coming from. 
there's potentially another transfer at defensive back that USC could be in line for. And I don't want to get into naming names. I don't want to even hint where this player currently is playing. It would be even more surprising than Rick's transferring. It'd be much more surprising than Rick's transferring. A player that USC is obviously familiar with, is familiar with USC, but it would definitely come out of nowhere. But there have been some rumors about that as well. So uh, we'll see. Uh, USC, in terms of transfer porthole, uh, the good old porthole, it's uh, definitely defensive backs and offensive linemen from everything that I've heard. That's been sort of from the beginning. I know there's been some talk like they're going to go after a running back. I, I have told that's not true from my sources. They're pretty comfortable with the running backs that they have. They do want two running backs in the 2021 class, but in terms of transfers, they're not really actively pursuing any specific running backs. It's really the defensive backfield and offensive linemen, and particularly they would like an offensive tackle. Next question is from Big Jim Trojan. Any updates on Troy Franklin and the running back from San Diego? The running back from San Diego is Byron Cardwell, 6'1", 195 running back uh, from, gosh, is he from Madison? I always forget if he's from Madison or he's from Morse. Uh, I don't have his profile up in front of me. Um, But uh, Byron Cardwell, Nothing really with him. I know he's one of the top running backs at USC's recruiting. He's one of the few running backs at USC's recruiting that is six foot plus. Um, I think that's kind of interesting. And certainly, I think in terms of adding to what you already have in Brandon Campbell, 5'10", 190 pound um, combo back, a, a player that isn't necessarily big, but he doesn't necessarily play small either. You would like to have another running back that has a little more size. You know, Byron Cardwell could be a guy that's that 215 pound, 220 pound running back. And I think that's what USC needs, even though this offense being an air raid offense is not necessarily uh, built around power backs. I do think on a third three, you need a running back who can get a little lean and can push the pile a little bit or can break a tackle behind the line of scrimmage and still get a you know, a third down and one and convert it. That's very important. You can't just have a bunch of scat backs. I don't think that really works if you're talking about winning at the highest level. So if you're talking about winning the Pac-12 or being, or winning the Big 12, yeah, whatever. Maybe you'll get away with that. Maybe you'll be able to get to the championship game of the conference with that. But we're talking about college football playoff. You need a back that's got some size that when the defense knows you need a first down and they know you're going to run the ball, you can still get that first down. Uh, any update on Troy Franklin, five-star from Menlo Park, wide receiver? Not really. USC still, I think, floating around that top three or two. Um, plays for FSP, the seven-on-seven outfit, which has not been very kind to USC. In terms of USC recruiting those players uh, from that squad, they really have not had much success. So that's kind of one of the interesting things. You know, Oregon and Washington are probably the two other schools that are most involved with Troy Franklin right now. And Washington has Sam Hewitt, who's a five-star quarterback, the the Washington Husky legacy. Um, he's committed to Washington, and he plays for SF, FSP too. So there is a connection there, and I think Washington's really using that. Uh, Oregon's recruiting Troy Franklin really hard. I do think that the USC offense is much easier to sell than the Oregon offense to Troy Franklin. And I think ultimately that plays a big part in his decision. And that's really, I think, a reason he really likes USC. And he's got a pretty good relationship with Kerry Colbert 
and uh, Graham Harrell. I think the USC coaching staff just as a whole probably has one of the better relationships with him. And from what I understand, his parents really like USC because of the academics. So USC is definitely there. Uh, definitely top three. Definitely a, a contender uh, for his commitment. When that comes, that's completely open-ended. Another question from Big Jim Trojan. Also, any changes in the status of Bram Walden or Jonah Miller? Uh, Bram Walden, 6'4", uh, 275-pound uh, offensive lineman from uh, Scottsdale. And Jonah Miller, who's from Tucson, he was actually a blocker for uh, Bijan Robinson uh, at, uh, I think, Cell Point Catholic down there in Arizona. So the two Arizona offensive linemen, not a whole lot. I think Bram Walden is still sort of leaning to Oregon. I think USC made up a lot of ground with his unofficial visit for the USC-UCLA basketball game, which was you know almost two months ago at this point. Um, but they did make up a lot of ground, and they are doing well with him. With Jonah Miller, I really don't hear a whole lot from USC side of things. It seems like he's definitely more of an Oregon lean. Oregon, interestingly, likes him as an offensive tackle, he only plays offensive guard. He's a massive human being. He's a huge kid. He's like, you know, 6'7", 6'8", um, and he's 320, 330 pounds. Uh, but he plays primarily offensive guard, and yet I hear Oregon's recruiting him as an offensive tackle. Maybe that's just a recruiting ploy. You know, sometimes schools will do that, and they'll say, hey, we think you're going to be a left tackle, and in the end of the day, there's going to be an offensive guard. Uh, so that's kind of the latest with Bram and uh, Jonah Miller. But Jonah Miller just not really a guy that comes up a whole lot in conversation with USC at this point in time. Uh, golf, zero hack, golf, oh, hack, asks another question. Uh, Gerard, what are your thoughts on JT well, again, there's another JT question. Um, and there's another question here about JT that's just below it. So I'm going to answer these together. Um, the other question is from Cass. I don't even know how to, I don't know how to pronounce it. I apologize. Uh, hey, team, couple of questions for you. Uh, saw on the target list, the interest was high, trending for JT Toimalu. Uh, what are the chances of landing him? And what are the chances of landing him, I guess, with Corey Foreman, uh, whether it will help or hurt with that recruitment? Um, I think they are mutually exclusive. And I know there's a, an even, I think, another question or two uh, just kind of looking ahead uh, when it comes to JT and Corey Foreman. And I I look at JT Tuimualu more as a three technique down the line. I, I see him as very much being Jay Tufele. Uh, he's not quite as big as Jay was at this point in time in his high school career. But I think ultimately... That's sort of what you're looking at. That's what you want. He plays more on the edge uh, right now, but I think that you know he's going to put on that weight. He's going to be a guy that could be an elite interior pass rusher. Um, I don't really see he and Corey Foreman sort of occupying the same space. Um, I think Corey's a five technique. I think Corey potentially could be a jack, could potentially be a backer. I think more so than Drake Jackson, even though we've heard the coaching staff wants to play Drake Jackson out there a little bit, experiment with him being a Jack linebacker, which for you guys that, that don't know, I know we've got sort of some of the Twitter crowd, some of the uh, the, uh, the casuals that have kind of streamed in here for the podcast, and we might be talking over your head a little bit with some of this stuff, but the Jack position in this new defense is basically going to be the hybrid Leo slash Predator slash defensive end that has the potential to be able to go back in coverage, cover in the flare route, cover in the curl route, and just a little more of a hybrid type player. And I've seen both Drake 
and I've seen Corey Foreman play standing up. Uh, Corona Centennial has actually used Corey Foreman as a middle linebacker uh, a bit last year. And so Corey's not too out of his element standing up. He can get away with it. He's got a little more of a linebacker body than Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson, I don't like at that position just because I think he's a three technique. I think he's going to be a great three technique, um, a great five technique. Just put his hand on the ground and let him get upfield. That's what he does really well. Great awareness in the offensive backfield. He reads really well. He diagnoses really well. But I just don't want him floating around out there in space at 275, 280 pounds. That's not what I want to see from Drake Jackson. I want to see him getting after the quarterback and getting after the ball carrier in the offensive backfield. And I feel like that's something that could be an experiment that just sort of stunts his development. Get him on the defensive line. Get him at the five technique. You know, Let him continue to put on weight. Put in the three technique. He's going to make more money at that position anyways. I mean, you're going to look at the draft. You're going to look at playing that that sort of elephant, predator, you know, uh, hybrid role in compared to a three technique. Three technique is going to get drafted higher nine times out of ten. So with JT Tui, uh, Tui uh, Mualu, I, I think he's actually more of a Jake, Drake Jackson um, replacement uh, down the line. I think that's really more of what you look at him as. And I don't see he and Corey Foreman necessarily competing with each other for playing time. I don't think they're the same type of players. Okay, moving on to Son of a Mitch 13. Uh, that's with an M. Uh, Three-part question. Last time you said SC had a better chance with Davis than Foreman. I think that was something that may have been stated in the war room, or maybe it was just on the message boards. Did you think that Foreman would decommit as soon as he did at that time? Do you see Davis decommitting, and what time frame does that look like? Uh, can you expand on your recent crystal ball prediction for Foreman in USC and why you decided to make that? So kind of have gone over this, obviously, with Corey Foreman a bit. In terms of that comment between Rayshon Davis and Corey Foreman, I knew that Corey Foreman could potentially decommit. I think it was more of the public decommitment. And to be fair and to be accurate, I haven't seen a quote from Corey Foreman talking about his decommitment yet. I haven't seen a quote from anybody from his family that has actually said that, yes, I have decommitted from Clemson. He's kind of laying low. We know from various sources that he's on the outs with Clemson. Um, but I think it was one of those things that I could have saw – it would have going to drag out all the way until June – until maybe something became public, but we all knew behind the scenes he was no longer committed to Clemson. That may happen with Rashawn Davis as well. Uh, it could be more of a June thing, I think. Um, it's it's hard to say. You know, these are 17-year-old kids. You just never know when it comes to making things public, make the finality of it, when they're going to really do something, unless they say this is the this is the date that I'm going to do it. So yeah, it's completely open ended. Uh, like I said before, the Foreman thing has been in the works here for for a, a couple of weeks, maybe even a little longer than that. With Rashawn uh, Davis, it's in, been in the works, I think, for a couple of weeks now already too. And um, you know, maybe it doesn't happen, but I kind of would be surprised if he didn't decommit from LSU right now. So we'll see. We'll see. We got plenty of time to uh, watch things unfold. Kaboom Trojan asks. Actually, he doesn't ask a question. He was more or less repeating 
the differences between uh, JT, Toy Mualu, and Corey Foreman. And so uh, I think I kind of said that. I think with JT, he's going to be more of a defensive lineman. I think he's going to put on that weight, and that's where you're going to want to see him. Uh, whereas Corey, I think, could entertain that hybrid role a little more in the defense like USC's. But I, I ultimately, I think Corey's going to end up being a guy that uh, puts his hand on the ground as well. And I know I got a question somewhere, and I apologize. I'm going to probably end up finding it because I have to scroll through these as I'm uh, actually doing this. Uh, it was kind of kind of you know one of those things because the internet wasn't working in the studio, so I was kind of throwing my lap. Hey, just answer the questions that are on the peristyle. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing it exactly like that. The question I believe was, what comparisons from other defensive ends that we've seen come through USC? or I guess were germane to USC football fans, what I make with Corey Foreman. And somebody asked, and again, I should just wait until I get down to that question, but I want to try to get these questions all together so it makes a little more sense. We stick with the certain topics. Uh, I cannot find that question, but somebody asked me the comparison and they made, they kind of threw a comparison out there. Oh, I think it was Everson Griffin. And I don't see a comparison there. I don't like that comparison. Everson Griffin was a guy that ran a 4-4-6, I believe, hand time at the USC football camp. Um, so, <laughs> you know, he was a guy that was a little bit of a freakish athlete and was maybe more of an athlete than he was a football player coming out of high school. Um, coming out of high school, he also played running back. He was actually a pretty good running back early on and developed more into a defensive lineman later on. And as he was at USC, became a very good defensive end. I think if I'm going to make a comparison that's germane to USC football with Corey Foreman, I would say Frosty Rucker. Frosty Rucker coming out of Colorado State when he got to USC. He's originally from Tustin, but coming out of Colorado State when he transferred to USC, that's kind of more what I would see from Corey Foreman. And I know Frosty Rucker eventually ended up being a defensive tackle way later on when he was in the NFL, and he actually went from being a defensive end uh, I think with the Bengals, too, being a defensive tackle. So his transition was actually in the NFL when he made that. But coming into USC from Colorado State, uh, he kind of reminded me a little more of a Corey Foreman. I think that would be maybe a better better comparison. And that's off the top of my head. There might be even better comparisons than that. Uh, Crown City asks, who is the current class of 2021 recruit most likely to decommit and why? Wow. Okay, so we're gonna go negative here. Come on, Crown City. We got a positive podcast. We got a recruiting rant going right now, and it's all positive. And you got to interject that decommitment. So, I guess you know you would look first and foremost at Jake Garcia, just because of the quarterback situation. You know they're recruiting another quarterback, and you know there's some complications potentially with him and Miller Moss. I think another one would be Jay Toya, just because Jay Toya committed to USC so early, and the coach that he committed to when he was at USC is Johnny Nansen, and Johnny Nansen is now at UCLA as the defensive line coach. So those are the guys that kind of pop into my head first when I think about potential decommitments. Obviously, Brandon Campbell is obviously a guy that you got to think about because he's out of state and he's never stepped football or he's never stepped foot on the campus of USC. He's never been to Los Angeles before. So when you got a kid that's out of state, he's never visited the school that he's committed to, 
you have to think, okay, there's a lot of stuff that could still happen. He could end up getting to L.A., not liking the vibe, maybe doesn't like USC. You just never know. You don't think that. I've talked to him personally, and he seems like the type of kid personality-wise that would vibe very well in Los Angeles. He's from Katy, which is just outside of Houston. So he's not a kid from you know rural Texas. So it's not going to be one of those things where he's going to get off the plane and he's going to be scared because he can't bass fish. It's going to be one of those things where I think he's going to be fine with the city element. It's just a matter of vibing with the players and vibing with the coaches and just kind of getting a sense for being away from home. So that's obviously a big deal. Uh, any more recruiting stories from the past years you can tell? That would take way too much time, so we can't really get into that on this podcast. Fear SC, Fear SC, who is a regular on the peristyle, he's always interjecting uh, opinions and analysis for us. He comes in and asks with two questions. First question, what exactly are the assistant coaches selling given that Helton is still the head coach? <laughs> we know where this is going. Seems like change, quote unquote, is hard to sell when we've had the same coach for five plus years. Second question is, how much impact would a Bama beatdown? Again, we're on we're on the negative uh, turn now for the questions. And another lackluster season, uh, both have in retaining the recruiting class. You know, it would obviously uh, hurt the recruiting class, certainly. You get blown out by Alabama, and it's definitely going to affect the recruiting class. Would it affect it as much as it would have last year or the year before? No, because I think the, the, the staff is just recruiting that much harder. And I think they just have that much better relationship with these kids that they are recruiting. It's going to hurt. Impossible to qualify how much it would hurt, um, you know, how many decommitments would come from such a thing. But yes, definitely a lackluster season and a beatdown by Alabama would not be good. Now, a beatdown by Alabama, but then you turn it around like you did in that 2016 season, that would be different. That would be something that potentially you could still have that momentum. Again, we're talking about a season and we don't know if there's going to be a season. And in terms of what the coaches are selling, again, I don't think it's so much this magic selling anything. They're certainly selling staying home. Um, They're certainly selling playing together and representing Southern California and California and having a school out West that can proudly be represented in the college football playoff, which we have not seen. The PAC 12 has been an embarrassment a bit when it comes to the national scene in college football. And I think that they're selling trying to bring USC back and being that school that's the flagship program uh, that's west of the Mississippi, that's west of Texas. And um, that's, that's I think, a selling point. But more than anything, it, they're just recruiting harder. They're just more on it. They're just communicating and being consistent. And obviously, you know, there's not a lot more that they have to do right now. There's not a spring ball. There's not a whole lot in terms of coaching and meetings and film. So they can focus primarily on recruiting. But I think even if everything else was going on, there's still much more strategy. There's much more consistency. There's much more communication. And that more than anything, I think is a big deal in helping USC recruit right now. Next question is from BizNaz14. BizNaz. Number one, do you expect the Trojans to finish with the top five class? Expect? I don't expect anything. Predict? It's tough to predict. Again, we have this big old thing called the season, which we don't even know if it's going to happen. So can I predict that? No, not with any confidence. 
doesn't mean that I don't think that they won't recruit well, but there's just different variables that you have to throw in there to try to predict that. Uh, number two, what five-star kids do the Trojans have a legit shot at? Well, we've talked about a bunch of them. We've talked about Corey Foreman. We've talked about Rayshon Davis. Rayshon, I think, is a four-star uh, for 24-7 sports, but I believe he's a composite rankings five-star. Uh, we talked about Troy Franklin uh, being another guy that's a, a – a, I think he's a four-star for 24-7 sports, but a composite five-star. Uh, JT Toy Moalo, um, another guy that USC has a legitimate shot at. You know, certainly they have a legitimate shot at. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if there's, you know, some players that are out of state that have some offers that may be committed to other schools that get in the mix. If USC's recruiting momentum actually takes off that much more, you know, you, there are some guys that, you know, are in contact with guys like Jake RC and guys that are committed and you never know. I mean, Quay Darius Davis is kind of a guy that I don't think anybody really thought USC had a great shot at. And then bada boom, bada bing, you know, it looks like USC is maybe the school to beat for him and could be getting a commitment from him. So, you know, things can change really quickly and the momentum is a bit like a snowball. And there's guys that we're looking at right now that we say, yeah, that's a long shot for USC. But all of a sudden they have some of these guys commit and the other kids are like, wow, something's going on at USC. Now, I also have to interject that. This has happened at other schools as well. I mean, you can look at Cal Gang, you can look at Cali Flock, you can look at Cali Nebraska, and all these other BS little mantras that schools put out there on social media to try to get kids' attention, to try to get them to become a part of something, right? It's this gang mentality of, hey, you know, these kids, they want to be a part of something bigger than they are. And so these things often fall apart, but they tend to fall apart because they're trying to get kids to come across the country and the class is built. Cali flock is built on a bunch of Southern California kids. Cal gang is built on a bunch of Southern California kids. The difference here is that USC is trying to keep kids home and their base is in Southern California. So there is a difference, but you do have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt and look and see that these movements sometimes fall flat on their face. Uh, another question SC made asked about uh, JT uh, Tui, uh, Tui uh, Moalo, and we've obviously talked about that quite a bit. And I know there's another question coming up about him uh, that had to do with Everett and Griffin, and we covered that as well. Pilberg uh, asks uh, questions for GM. Saw we put out an offer for the number one center nationally, and we actually talked about that. Uh, can you give us some info on Drevno as recruiter? Uh, last year's class doesn't make him look good. Um, but his overall reputation as a recruiter as well as a developer uh, from various um, various different stops. Basically just asking the question about Drevno as a recruiter because we talked about um, James Brockenmeyer, Brockermeyer and his brother Tommy uh, getting scholarship offers. Tommy doesn't have the scholarship offer. James does. I don't think USC has the best shot uh, at James. Drevno as a recruiter, I've always looked at Drevno a bit more as an evaluator. I think he knows what he likes. I think he has a good eye for talent. I think he knows what he can work with. And when I've talked to him, just about evaluation, whether it be self-evaluation of the roster that he has or just recruiting-wise, what he's looking for, he's very specific. And I think that's different than him and some of the past offensive line coaches that USC has had. You have to know what you're looking for specifically to be able to get it. 
You can't just throw a bunch of cliche offensive linemen. We're looking for big guys that are physical, that, you know, have a nastiness about them. That, that's nothing. That doesn't get you anywhere. That's not, that's not an evaluation. You don't go into a camp looking for that. You got to look for specific things with footwork. You got to look for specific things with wingspan. You've got to look for balance. You've got to look for a specific prototype for that position. Offensive line is like a hand with five fingers, right? You got the center. He's going to be completely different. You're going to want different things from your center than you're going to want from your guards. You're going to want a different thing from your left guard, maybe from your right guard, depending on your scheme, depending on how you pull your guards. Do you trap your guards? Your offensive tackles, what kind of splits are you using? That's going to depend upon how big those guys you're recruiting uh, are. And, and with USC, they've gone big. It was weird because last year's class, they started out with a couple commits and recruiting guys that were in that 260-pound range, 200 and maybe 70-pound range. And it looked like they wanted kids that were you know 6'5", but slim, that they could build up. And then it went from that during the summer to all of a sudden making this kind of complete pivot to getting a bunch of guys that are 300 pound plus. So it it changed. The philosophy in terms of what they were looking for on the offensive line changed quite a bit. And unfortunately, we haven't really been able to talk to Tim Drevenel about that specifically. But in last year's class, I mean, I think it ended up being like the average was 6'6", 295, 305, something like that. And that was a big departure from the guys that they were going after early. So that's kind of continued. I mean, you look at Maximus Gibbs, obviously he's going to tip the scales quite a bit. Uh, But Mason Murphy, the other offensive tackle commit for USC, I mean, he's in that 290-pound range, 295-pound range. So uh, they're continuing to go after bigger guys. And I think with Drevno, he's not necessarily the best salesman in the world, but I think he's a very good evaluator. And I think more importantly, he knows what he wants and what he can work with to get the offensive line playing the way he wants it to play. Uh, second question is, any updates on Troy Franklin and Bram Walden? We covered that. Uh, let's keep these five stars local and get some high-level offensive linemen fight on. Next question, best coast football ask. First, thanks for doing this and keeping this uh, high-powered train rolling through the quarantine with Ryan and company. Thank you very much. We're trying. I'll probably lose my voice after this. Question, <laughs> who are USC's priority recruits on the offensive line and defensive line? Kind of think we've covered that. Uh, which is the most likely to commit. Um, so, you know, we've talked about uh, Corey Foreman, and, and and I think with USC, you know, they've got a, a solid group of defensive linemen, and it's really, that's probably the one position we're waiting to see the next step at, right? We're, we're kind of waiting to see, okay, are they going to be able to make that big move with Tui, uh, Moalo, are they going to be able to make a move with maybe Landon Jackson? Um, are they going to make a move with uh, Aaron Armitage, who is a guy that has USC in his top five? People are predicting that um, the 6'4", 245-pound uh, defensive end from, I think he's from like Blairstown, uh, New Jersey, he's a guy that put USC's top five. A lot of people think he's going to go to Stanford. So obviously, if you think you're going to Stanford, USC has a pretty good shot there. You know, USC's got the academics, West Coast, obviously a better football uh, tradition, and maybe just better recruiters. I think USC's in the running there. I think they're in the conversation. And obviously, like we said, Corey Foreman. I think that's the question is, you know, with some of these guys, where does USC sort of take that next step? And Vic Soto is a good recruiter. He's going to be a guy 
that's going to make some waves. I think he's got a great vibe. He's a young guy, and I think he's going to make an impression with these kids. I think the big thing that's handicapping him is the fact that he wasn't on campus uh, when you know Craig Niver and Todd Orlando were on campus for that big weekend where they they had the two really they had the two weekends, and Vic Soto was sort of last to get hired. So he was kind of behind the eight ball a little bit in terms of getting his offers out there and really recruiting for USC. So I think that's really the move. That's really where they got to sort of try to make some things happen and push a little harder. Uh, one of the other guys uh, that, that we don't talk a lot about with the defensive line, um, we talk about him really more with offensive line, but the truth is USC's actually recruiting him as a defensive lineman. And that's Tia Savea. Tia Savea is 6'5", 250 pound, Offensive tackle rated by 24-7 from Las Vegas. He has high interest in USC, but he's being recruited by Vic Soto as a defensive lineman. So that is another guy that is actually really USC's looking as a defensive tackle um, that is you know normally looked at as an offensive lineman because he's rated as an offensive lineman by 24-7 sports. Uh, next question, BND1, another regular from the Peristyle. Gerard, USC's chances with Calvert, kind of talked about that. I think they're very good chances with Calvert. Uh, would a commitment from Calvert or Rayshon Davis, if you were to flip, impact others' decisions? I mean, again, I think it's just more of that overall momentum. I think that's the snowball effect. I think that's where all of a sudden maybe you get a kid from out of state that's not really looking at USC seriously. Maybe another linebacker, uh, maybe even another defensive back that floats in that, you know, normally you're kind of thinking, okay, you know, USC really doesn't have a lot of traction without a state recruits. You know, we're coming off a year where USC, they recruited in Texas and they've recruited in some places out of state, but they're bid for guys that are sort of been picked over by other schools. So now when you're talking about the creme de la creme, it's hard to all of a sudden get back to that mindset. So we're into the Pete Carroll era again where USC is going out and these offers are meaningful. So I think with the momentum, definitely that really helps things and it does impact, but not directly. It's more indirectly. Um, I know you list Calvert as a Mike linebacker and Davis as a will. I'm just curious as to whether uh, one would shy away if the other committed. I don't think so. And Davis actually technically plays a lot on the edge. My projection as as a will for him is is just because of his body type more than anything. Uh, he's a little shorter. And I think in a hybrid type defense, you wouldn't want him to have to engage with a bunch of 100 pound or 300 pound offensive linemen. That's something that worries me about the tight front you need that jack linebacker that b backer to be a guy that's a legitimate defensive end first and foremost as a pass rusher that athletically can back off the line of scrimmage that's a big deal from what i've seen success wise that's what you want from that position you don't want to put a guy that's a linebacker that is not necessarily used to going against 300 pound left tackles and, and and just doesn't have the length to kind of keep that offensive tackle off of him. You got to disengage, and in order to do that, you got to have long arms, and that normally means you got to be like six three, six four. So that's why I wouldn't put Rayshon Davis on the edge. I'd like him more blitzing a lot from a wheelbacker spot. And the same thing goes for Calvert. I just think Calvert is a smart kid. I think he has the awareness and the things that you want from a Mike linebacker because that position is really your quarterback. Of the defense and in this defense where you're moving those guys around a lot and again it's like a shell game with who's blitzing from the tight front 
that's a big deal. And I think I like, I like that guy to be smart guy, to be a cerebral guy that's going to be able to make those calls and just kind of know where everybody's got to line up. Calvert has that in addition to being a hell of a violent player on the point of contact. I mean, he makes huge hits. Uh, he's got the athleticism. Um, again, he's really, really up there. I think I said, you know, a uh, bulk or excuse me, <laughs> Bo, his brother, uh, Ethan Calvert and uh, Ma'agnoteote being kind of like the two top linebackers. I mean, Rajon Davis is there too as well. I think I kind of kind of overthought him, um, but he would probably be number two and then Ma'a would be there. So you would have three. That, now that would be three guys that you'd be recruiting that, you know, are all guys that potentially could be inside linebackers. Um, I think of that group, if there's a guy that I could push outside, it actually probably would be Calvert. I think athletically he might be the best of that group in terms of playing in space, and if I needed a Sam or I needed, you know, to put instead of maybe putting another nickel out there or putting another safety out there, um, and I have actually four linebackers, I mean, Calvert is the guy that could could potentially move out there. So I don't know. I don't know how that goes in terms of recruiting all those guys. But when you get all three together, then maybe you're talking about, you know, how does one guy look at the other guy and how do you keep them all committed? That there's potential there for uh, a little bit of diciness. Uh, next question from Amy USC. Amy is all over the peristyle. She is on every thread. She is probably the leading. She's going to end up with 20,000 uh, posts here probably pretty soon here. She's only at 4,700. Uh, and I presume Amy is a girl. Could be Amy for USC. And Amy, there's a, there's a puppy dog, I think, in this uh, picture. Could be the puppy dog. I don't know. I'm just going by the name. Don't crucify me. Will Chris Claiborne be officially added to the USC sports staff? Just asking. Um, when? I can't say when. Uh, I'm not even know if I'm allowed to say that it will happen yet. I'm not sure. I just know that you misspelled his name first and foremost. It's Claiborne with, uh, with an E. Um, there's a good chance of it happening. And hopefully it happens soon. USC is under a hiring freeze. And that's going to go on here for a little bit. Um, but uh, I think that will be a- another boost for USC. So when we're talking about Rashawn Davis and we're talking about, uh, you know, maybe bringing a guy like Chris Claiborne in there to uh, supplement the linebacker recruiting and help Todd Orlando out even more. Mm, a lot of good looking for USC on the recruiting truck. Uh, next question, CO007611 asks, who will be? Our quarterback for the 2022 quarterback class. I have no idea. 2022 is distant in the future. Uh, Malik Murphy is a hell of a football player. It would be Malik Murphy, I think, if I had my druthers right here, right now. Uh, big, big quarterback. Uh, tons of size. Throws a pretty ball. Hasn't really done a whole lot in terms of production uh, at Sarah High School. But uh, a guy that's, you know, he he's just going to be one of those dudes that's got the mobility He's got that size. He'll be 230, 240, uh, 6'4", and, um, you know, kind of really just a tough guy, I think, to deal with in the pocket. And so I I think that would be the guy that if you had to pick right now out of that class, that's the guy you would want to be your quarterback uh, for the 2022 class if you're a USC fan. Next question, Best Coast Football. Another question from Best Coast. He asked, what is the likelihood that Miller Moss and Jake Garcia both commit to USC and sign with USC? The likelihood. Well, he's not asking for a percentage here, so that's good. Um, the likelihood, I right now, it's not 
great. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's not great. Kind of like Chernobyl, right? Watch that movie. Uh, next question is from Chris. It's actually Chris SHWS. Uh, now with Corey Foreman decommitted, what is the word on Rayshon Davis? We've talked about that. Any other committed prospects we're after? A lot of them. Tons of them. Corey, or excuse me, Casey Crossgrove. Staff. We're at, we have staff member asking questions, getting in here. Okay, Casey. While USC recruiting is going well at this time, uh, what do they still need on the recruiting front? And what are they still behind on the times with? So I guess this question in terms of just resources, I guess, uh, what does USC really need? What are they behind on? Um, USC is, you know, perpetually behind on facilities. Um, they're still a bit behind on support staff, but they've definitely made a big improvement there. And I think part of what you're seeing in this recruiting momentum is that they have improved so much with the re- recruiting support staff. And they just have more bodies, more people on top of things. Um, it's a big deal, you know, just in terms of contact and social media. Uh, but, um, yeah, you know, I mean, facilities, I think there's some nuanced things that um, I don't want to get into right now. But I, I think definitely they could continue to fill out the support staff, continue to recognize um, that uh, they have to build these things up for visits. Um, the ideas and just the consistency of bringing kids in and having excuses to get kids on campus, that's a big deal. They really did a good job of that early on, and I think that has also uh, been reflective of their recruiting momentum. They had some big junior day visits. You know, They had like three of them from uh, you know January into March. And I think that was a big deal. And they had, you know, guys at the Coliseum. I think that's something that they got to do more of. You know, they, they, you know, the basketball game was huge. The basketball game worked out as well as it could have, right? Great atmosphere. Um, you had all the new coaches there, had a bunch of local kids there, and USC wins on a buzzer beater. Like everything just came together on that night. But normally you just don't know what you're going to get out of the basketball crowd. You don't know what you're going to get out of the basketball team. And so I'm wary of that from a recruiting standpoint. And I also just want, when I get a kid on campus, unofficially, I want him in front of a coach as much as possible. You know, basketball game is fine. And I understand it kind of gives the coaches the ability to sort of pick and choose who they want to talk to, when they want to talk to those kids. But getting them over there at the Coliseum, Coliseum is amazing. You know, empty or full, it's still amazing. And you have that new facility there with the um, the scholarship tower that the kids don't really get to see a whole lot of when they're on official visits and unofficial visits normally when the when the stadium is actually full for a game. Um, that, I think, is a big deal. And I think there's got to be more of that, too. So just finding those opportunities to continue to get kids on campus all year long, I think, is a big deal. And again, when you've got more support staff, those guys can organize that stuff while the coaching staff is coaching. Trojan 2016, clearly the coaching staff has been upgraded and talent will come. Given the new infrastructure, do you believe Clay Helton can win a national championship at USC? Wow, that's a big question. Um, We'll see. (laughs) We shall see, said the blind man. Uh, Next question, Namvet1 asks, is Ernest Green? From St. John Bosco, close with Gibbs and Pepe. They are somewhat close, and I think Gibbs will help with Ernest Green. Uh, Ernest Green's going to be a national recruit, though, and he's going to kind of do his own thing. But certainly, 
the Bosco pipeline does not hurt USC. And I think Pepe, uh, Kobe Pepe, the defensive tackle that USC signed in the 2021 class, or excuse me, 2020 class, he's going to be a guy that, that if they have a season this year, I think he's going to play. I think he's going to, he may not make the biggest impact, but I think he's a guy that can actually contribute. And I think he's going to be a solid player for USC down the line. Uh, second question from Namvet, another OG poster from the Paris style. Uh, also, the OG, ironic, I just said OG po- poster, and he has OG in his question. The OG, my OG is original gangster. His OG is offensive guard from modern day that sat out last year, uh, Ross Muselli. Uh, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, I guess he just wants to know what chances uh, do does USC have at him. A good chance. I don't know if he's at the top of the list right now for USC. Um, I think it's one of those things. There's a pecking order there at the offensive line, just like there are to other positions. And I think there's probably guys that might be ranked ahead of him right now that USC recruiting. Uh, Extra large Trojan asked, Gerard, I was looking at some of the Corey Foreman film and trying to compare him to other defensive ends. This is the question that I was looking for. And he says, would you compare him favorably to Everson Griffin? And obviously I answered that question already. I think... uh, the question is probably um, that I think he's more of a Frosty Rucker type, I think was the, the answer to that question. Cravens for Heisman asks, what could you envision this linebacker class being? Do you believe USC ends up with, and how many linebackers do you think that they end up taking? I think they want three. And... Um, you know, we talked about Rayshon Davis, we talked about Ma Noti Ote, and we talked about Ethan Calvert. I think they have a chance at all those guys. Obviously, with Noti Ote, they've already got a commitment from him. Uh, with Calvert, they're working on it. With Davis, they're working on it also, but he's committed to LSU. Um, I could see them getting two out of the three and maybe somebody else in there. I think that's pretty realistic at this point. Next question, Jacob Stein asks, any news on prospective porthole pickups for us and any JUCOs on the radar? Not many JUCOs on the radar for USC. Uh, Not usually many JUCOs on the radar for USC. Um, And in terms of the portal, uh, again, I kind of just go back to to what I said earlier. I think it's, uh, you know, they're looking at defensive backs and they're looking at offensive linemen. Um, You know, it's going to be interesting to see how this immediate eligibility plays out with transfers because the NCAA is playing with that because of uh, the potential of not having a season this year. So there's some transfers and some things that are going on. Obviously that had something to do with JT Daniels going into the portal. And so, you know, USC could lose a player because of that. They may also gain a player or two because of that. So you have to sort of keep those available rides open just in case there's a player that may jump into the porthole that's immediately eligible, not for next season because maybe there's not a next season, but for the actual 2021 year. So we'll see how that goes. And last question, uh, Gusach asks, are there any other quarterbacks other than Moss USC can be in on? And yes, they we've talked about that, but um, certainly USC is uh, recruiting. I, I think quite a few guys that are probably committed right now. You've got guys like JJ McCarthy, five-star committed to Michigan. You know, it's a guy with the USC offer. Uh, Tyler Buckner is a guy with the USC offer committed to Notre Dame. We haven't really heard much about USC and him, but you know, USC is going to continue to push for him. They're going to continue to recruit him. Sorry, Robertson just committed 
to Mississippi State, and he's a guy that USC was after uh, pretty hard. Sam Heward, we've talked about these guys. Right now, it's a bunch of guys that they would have to flip. We're going to have to see if USC ends up finding a way to recruit maybe somebody that uh, that that doesn't have a commitment to another school, but that's probably going to mean that they're going to have to offer more kids. So the options are going to have to increase, and we'll see how that kind of plays out over the next couple months because I think around June, July, you're definitely going to want to have an idea of who your two quarterbacks are, and the kids themselves are going to want to commit before the potential start of the season. Quarterbacks always want to get it done before the start of the season. And if there's not a season, then maybe they could linger on. Uh, you know, that would be abnormal, but obviously we're abnormal times. Um, but uh, I think that's where, you know, some of the hard decisions are going to have to be made. So that is the end of the questions for this podcast from the Peristyle. Always thank the Peristyle, our die-hired subscribers, our guys that are always on there asking me questions 24-7, 365 days a year, they are always on top of it. There's a lot of nuance to recruiting. And again, maybe for some of our more casual fans out there that are coming over from social media, maybe we talked over your heads a little bit about some of this stuff. I apologize. I try to always uh, give you the basic information and then go on from there. Thank you again to the Peristyle and stay tuned to uscfootball.com for the latest and best coverage of USC recruiting and athletics.